Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me tonight in place of my co-host Corey Walsh is Zach Weiss of Across the Cavs. New to the 216 Network, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. How's it going, Zach? Hey, Matt, great to be with you, man. It's been a while. I feel like uh, a lot's changed in the basketball world since we last got together. But yeah, things are good. Network 216 has been great. Been enjoying the new content. People are seeing my face more, for better or worse. <laughs> and uh, excited to be with you to chop up some Cavs basketball. For sure, man. Yeah, that's got to be the biggest adjustment going live uh, more now with the podcast. So I'm glad that you're able to join me tonight. But man, we've had a couple of weeks now to to digest and fully, fully discern everything that occurred in that Cavs-Knicks series, no matter how disappointing it was. Um, I mean, the season as a whole, it was one hell of a ride. 51 wins. I don't think anybody expected them to to get to that point, although there were pretty high expectations this season after the Donovan Mitchell acquisition. But it was quite the disappointing end to the season. I mean, I, I cannot sugarcoat it. Um, like I said, high expectations on the season, maybe not title contention, uh, but you know, we heard numerous times before this season started that this would be sort of a work in progress. Uh, you know, from Kobe Altman. And to me, that thought process still yields true. And, you know, there's some major holes on this roster and they got to be filled. And by virtue of that, I knew deep down that this season wouldn't end in glorious fashion uh, as much as we all wanted it to. Uh, but with that being said, I will be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I was expecting at least a series victory, especially with the success in the regular season. Um, from that aspect, I say that this postseason was a disappointment. Uh, not necessarily a failure in the most general sense, but a disappointment nonetheless. Losing the way that the Cavs did, just absolutely brutal. So with all of that being said, man, now that you've had time to, to, to internalize this and just take it all in, I just want your honest thoughts. Do you consider this season – when, when you're factoring in the postseason as well, do you consider it to be a failure or a disappointment, or are you more on the, the opposite side of things in regards to that? Yeah, I was having the same discussion on my pod just two nights ago, so love that. Now, I was asking the guest, it was Danny Cunningham about it, now I'm happy I get to take, uh, take his stance <laughs> and, uh, and fill in myself. So I'll say this, 51 wins is absolutely fantastic, you know, and I'm somebody that was rooting for the Utah Jazz the whole season. We've done a lot of business with them in recent years. They got us yeah. Kyle Korver. We ended up with a very brief Alec Burks tenure uh, because of the Utah Jazz before he ended up getting a bunch of other contracts and opportunities. C.J. Miles came to the Cavs from the Jazz, one of the best shooters in Cavs history, and I'll talk about why I'm bringing that up a little later. So many moves between them. Obviously, Jordan Clarkson going there and in a separate trade previously, and then Larry Markkinen going there. Ochai Abaji, Colin Sexton, some picks. And we bring in one of the best players in the world in uh, Donovan Mitchell. Obviously not viewed quite as high then as he is now, even with yeah. everything they gave up. Broke the Cavs record for 40-point games, a franchise that includes an all-time great LeBron James and one of the best scorers in the last 30 years that, from the guard position. And Kyrie Irving, you know, we think back to Mark Price and what Ron Harper could have been. And we had some great guys. Don came in, he broke so many <laughs> records. He scored 71. So from the regular season aspect, I think they're better than I could have imagined. But obviously, losing five games, you lose two in front of the home fans. You have your season ended in front of the home fans. You know, it's kind of funny that the Heat are one win from the finals when the whole conversation we were having in March was, can will then who between the Knicks, the Nets, and the Heat, who stays above who? So when the Heat end up at seven and the Nets lock in the six, we thought, oh, okay, not yes. much to see here, right? There's not much to see here. It's gonna that be in the whole question of who would you rather the Caps face? <laughs> yeah, man. And first off, thank goodness it wasn't Miami because, and with all due respect to what the Cavs did, we would not have stood a chance. And obviously, the Giannis injury played a big part in Miami's first round success, but when he came back. They still gave it to them. They couldn't use Giannis and Brooke, both either DPOYs or DPOI uh, favorites the last three years. They couldn't use Drew Holiday, another all-NBA first-team defense, to figure out a way to stop Jimmy Butler. So all that said, you know, clearly what I did learn, and I'll finish it, uh, come back to the Cavs in a second, Mac, what I learned 
you can't judge a team by the regular season seeding because usually you're not going to get a six, seven, or eight in the conference finals dominating even like this now. Right. But it taught us that if the Cavs had been five or six, it would have been okay if they ended up as a five or a six last year, even with the Jared Allen injury, and they had just gotten in. Who knows what could have happened? But it has to be a disappointment in the big picture because you made that trade and you gave up Lowry and you gave up Colin, you gave up Ochai, you gave up these picks. And you you have these two seven footers, and they couldn't get it done. You know the Knicks had Mitchell Robinson, who's probably we thought would be the tenth best starter in this series, turned out to be a top five player, and it just showed that the Cavs need muscle, and they should have kept either of Kevin Love or Diakite on the roster. They had no depth there, and I didn't even talk about the wings for those two minutes, and because the bigs were the bigger problem for them, they couldn't stop. Them. That's really the like the, that was the storyline of the series. We knew that rebounding was going to play such a critical role because that's one of the things that New York did best all season. They did not shoot the be- the ball well at all during the regular season from from range or from you know the field overall. They just capitalized on the monumentous amounts of second chance opportunities that they generated from guys like Mitchell Robinson and Josh Hart, the the late season addition guys that you would not necessarily expect to be really good offensive rebounders. We're, we're doing it all in that playoff series. Um, I thought heading in that, you know, having Evan Mobley, having Jared Allen, Mitchell Robinson was not going to be a problem at all, but clearly we were all mistaken in that regard. And this, this kind of leads me to my first question in regards to this, because we've seen it thrown about, all you know i'm not gonna say all off season long because we just got here but we've seen it be been thrown out since the day that series ended so the question you know i'm really going to pose to you at this point in time is should jared allen be moved this off season now i'm gonna kick i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and just say this right now okay i do not believe jared allen should be moved this off season Amen. But I, know, <laughs> I know that there is a large contingent of people who are of that mindset um, do you believe that he is part of the Cavs' future moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. What is he, 25 years old? He's been here a couple of seasons. He was just an all-star last year. And look, while his numbers are pretty much the same, his touches were down, his role changed a bit with uh, two ball-dominant guards as opposed to one, essentially, with Colin being out last year. It kind of became the Garland show, which is why they even got Mitchell in the first place and why they felt comfortable pulling the trigger on that trade. And someone had to take less touches. As Evan Mobley got better in the late part of the season, Jared Allen couldn't be great with him. He had to take touches from somebody. And it's okay because Evan Mobley was insane that night. He had 39. The games he started to hit multiple threes. That shot left him in the playoffs. And confidence. The lights might have been a little too bright for him and Isaac as far as consistently shooting. Because when Okoro shot threes in the playoffs, there was some magic coming off those fingertips. But Allen has, what, four, I think, what, four years left now? Three years? Four years? Three years, I believe. Three years. So you, you shouldn't, there's, unless, and uh, with the show with Danny the other day, he was talking about you possibly think about guys you could pick up in a potential deal, like with a Brooklyn, with a Joe Harris type to spread the floor and be a wing. Obviously, he's a little wasp, but he's someone I would very much welcome in a 15-minute a game bench role. Think about great shooters the Cavs have had over the years. and He didn't get that opportunity enough because he was a rookie and there were title aspirations. They had to bring in JR and Shump and, Move Dion and move Mike Miller didn't even play on that team. So that, <laughs> they need they needed to make it perfect. But I, I would welcome him coming back, but I don't think you move him. I think you go at least another year of the Twin Towers, but I think you make sure that you have regular bigs. I think Robin Lopez is gone. You replace him with a guy that you can actually throw on the court. No disrespect. Loved having him. Loved the vibes he brought. But vibes only win your regular season games. Theo Pinson didn't win the Mavericks any playoff games. Kent Bazemore never won the Warriors in the first <laughs> tenure any playoff games. You know, like it's great when you're you're having fun out there and you're enjoying yourself, but you're, that's not going to win you playoff games. Robin's great for the vibes. He's great for the mascot jokes, but he did absolutely nothing this entire season. He got the one JYD award. I mean, a lot of guys got that one JYD award. So yeah. you need someone that can play. We're pardon the train going by here, but. You know, Allen and Mobley are two very good bigs. I know that horn doesn't mean I'm, I'm spouting BS. I, I'm, I'm right. <laughs> but just think about it. Right? There are these guys, one's an all-star. One is a DPOI runner-up at age 21. I think they play well off each other. They love to each other. They take responsibility. One guy can guard the perimeter, and they can't bring them both up 
So we're always going to have a rim protector. So I think if you get your proper backups, maybe you get a taller wings, maybe a couple inches bigger than Lamar and Isaac, kind of like Windler height, give or take another inch, who can play next to them in other situations, you'll be fine. The issue was no one else could play besides them because the Knicks were big and outside of them we were small. So in foul trouble, ate up Evan Mobley, there was no one to sub him in with. That was the biggest issue in regards to the lineup was the depth at the in the front court. I mean, literally, the Cavs were they had two playable bigs. That's it. No disrespect to Robin Lopez, uh, like you pointed out earlier, but you're in trouble if he's the third big that you're trotting out there. The Cavs were forced to go small. They tried Dean Wade out. That did not work. I think he's still bothered by that AC joint sprain. Lamar Stevens can only do so much. Um, they, they, they got to go out there and shore up that front court, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, I mean, immediately after that series ended, there was just so much chatter surrounding whether or not the tandem of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley could coexist long-term due to those spacing concerns. And, and, and while I can understand the immediate emotional reaction to how he played and, and thinking that he needs to go after such a dreadful performance, um, I think it's just that, though. I think it's just an emotional reaction uh, just based upon that one series. Uh, in that Knicks series, he averaged 9.4 points, 7.4 rebounds, 2.4 assists, and a block on 61.1% from the field, uh, which was heavily buoyed from his performances in both Game 1 and Game 2. And, and while he scored 14 in Game 4, Allen only managed to pull down 13 total rebounds in Games 3, 4, and 5 combined. And I think that was the most disheartening part. It, it was truly disheartening to watch Mitchell Robinson outplay him in most of these games. And like I said, no disrespect to, to, to guys like Mitchell Robinson, but we're talking about a former all-star big man here in, in Jared Allen. That honestly should not have happened. And some of it was due to the defensive game plan of blitzing Jalen Brunson that pulled him away from the rim. But another part of that appeared to be Allen shrinking from a confidence standpoint. And he honestly, he alluded that alluded to that himself after the series stating that even for himself, you know, the lights were brighter than expected, which while you don't want to hear one of your, one of your better players say that it, it takes a strong individual to admit that. So I, I do appreciate his candor with that. What were your thoughts when you heard him come out and say that? Yeah, so I was actually th- I think he might go there. So I, I want to actually compare what he said to what Giannis said in that I think there's two receiving parties to everything we, we get. There's the great quote. You know, it's great to hear that. The season might be over, but there's accountability. <laughs> Fantastic, right? And then there's the crowd of, okay, but where was the production? You know, you, your season ended in five games. In the case of the Bucks, we're talking about a two-time MVP who very, very – seriously could have been the MVP this season, if not for the discourse on the other two individuals. His numbers were just as good, but he got hurt. They lost in round one. That was what it was. He talked about it being a building block to success, and while it was lauded, and they talked about it on national TV, and even my, my mom, not a big sports fan, my whole family, were talking about that in the group chat about, about what he said and how great it is, and it's more than just winning and losing. And then you might – but at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> we support the Cavs, right, you and I. We, we talk about this a lot. You know, we, we give our thoughts throughout the season. And I think for both of us, we see that quote. We said, all right, good for you. You owned up to it. But also, we can't really truly evaluate it right now, right? He hasn't taken the court since. And, you know, uh, this, you know what they say, real Gs move in silence, like the G in lasagna, right? You know, <laughs> you know we don't, we don't want to know what's happening. Put your work in. We don't need to see it. Come to training camp. Wow the calves. Get Fedor. And get Cunningham and get Russo, get everyone talking about what he's been doing this offseason and the work he's been putting in. Then we get to, to uh, what, preseason, and we're playing some random team from Europe. Maybe it's Delavadova's new Australia team. I would honestly be great. <laughs> You'd be there if it was. Huh? I would be there, yeah. Shout out to him. I did get his King jersey this year, but sadly will not be getting an NBL jersey. Not going that far, but I'll say this to, to bring it all to a conclusion. When he takes the court again, let's see how he looks. Is he spreading the floor? Does he have a confident jumper? Like, remember that game against Toronto last season where he had that shot clock running down three? And I'm like, oh, maybe this guy's going to be a shooter now. <laughs> Turned into Brooke Lopez all of a sudden. Yeah, Turned into Brooke Lopez all of a sudden. But look, when he takes the court again, let's see what he does. If it works out, if he's looking better, if he's looking confident in these games, all right. If he's not, 
We may need to talk about next season's deadline, about shrinking and finding a really good stretch for to put next to Evan and maybe uh, getting a waiver wire back up five, which honestly they should have addressed this year more than giving the spots to Danny Green and Sam Merrill based on how much they actually played when the Cavs truly needed someone to step up. Yeah, so two thoughts on that to, to tie all that together. First off, I'm of the mindset, if you're going to move Jared Allen, if that is in your mind, you don't do it this offseason because you're not going to bring back a return that is going to fix the Cavs' issues right now. You trade him, you're going to have to acquire – one would assume that he would be moved to acquire an upgrade at the three. And that, frankly, is just probably not going to happen with Allen alone. Uh, then you have to worry about getting an actual uh, you know, starting quality or at least quality backup center if you're intending to slide over Evan Mobley. Then you got to figure out what you're going to do at the four. There's just all these moving parts in regards to that. So if you're going to move Allen, if, you're, um, if you have that thought process right now, I just don't think it makes sense this offseason. I think you want to see heading into this offseason and into this next season in general, you want to see what you got. You want to see who you're able to bring in and evaluate from there. And then secondly, to your other point, I, I honestly do believe that the Caps wasted an opportunity to sign or convert Mamadi Diakite uh, to the big league roster, see what he can do, give him some minutes because, I mean, God knows he would have helped you out more than Robin Lopez, mm-hmm. or you could have brought in a true center uh, to, to man that five spot, which we know that those are relatively cheap positions to fill, especially towards the end of the season. I think the Cavs really, really screwed up there. And as much as I hate to admit it now, because I, I don't know how you feel, Zach, but I was among the bunch that felt, you know what? It's okay. Let Kevin Love go. He's, he's, I was his too. best days are behind him. Clearly, we kind, I'm not going to say necessarily we've been proven wrong because Kevin Love's percentages have been absolutely atrocious with Miami, but he's doing what they need him to do from a rebounding mm-hmm. aspect, and he's hit timely shots. So props to him. The one thing clearly, I- go ahead. If I may, we talk about Kevin Love and the Miami Heat. Guess who they who they signed to deadline? They had all these backups. They had Yurtsev and they had Deadman. Deadman's not I working. They shipped Cody Zeller, right? Cody Zeller was sitting yeah. at home all offseason, and he is okay. Hasn't been great, but he's been good. He's been paying dividends for them in these playoffs. Just playing that block he had the other night. Block. He's getting dumped. He's playing two, four to five minute stretches a game, and he's doing an absolutely bang up job in those small minutes of just being serviceable. So. There were guys out there. We that could have been the Cavs. So they absolutely that. missed an opportunity with that one. Uh, but the other side to that, you know, the, on the other side of that coin in that front court is Isaac Okoro, who was moved to the bench in Game Two and would continue to come off the bench for the remainder of the series. Uh, we know that spacing played a big role in that. All thirteen of Okoro's attempts in three point range were deemed open or wide open. And that's because no one outside of Cleveland, as big as a Isaac Okoro fan as I am, I can admit this, no one outside of Cleveland, obviously you, <laughs> I mean, uh, you ain't in Cleveland right now, nor am I, but uh, no one outside of Cavs fans respects yeah, his ability to shoot the three ball. The Knicks clogged the paint, they dared him to shoot, and they were successful in doing that. And this this makes, honestly, two seasons in a row in which Okoro was treated to limited minutes due to his inability to space the floor consistently. So as of right now, Zach, when you watch Okoro play, do you believe he'll eventually turn into a respected shooter? And have you seen enough to indicate that? So there's times I watch him and, and I, I see one going. I'm like, all right, that shot looks really crisp. It's clear he put the time in. Because remember when he was coming off the bench, he's kind of the 10th, 11th man early in the season. He'd get his first minutes to start the second quarter, kind of like the Pelicans were doing with Alvarado uh, during the postseason last year. They'd go and get the Phoenix Suns in the first round. He'd play a little bit in the second. He'd play the whole fourth. Obviously, Isaac doesn't get that kind of free range. I think it's hard. It was hard early in the season when he's coming off the bench. You should expect it to play a four- to six-minute stretch. When you know you got limited minutes and you're not a great shooter, you're going to do everything you can to not get taken out quicker than that. You're going to make your plays. And I think he's a great slasher, honestly. Him and Jetty Osman are very good slashers. Yeah, yeah. But when it's only corner shots, you know, he's not P.J. Tucker. And obviously Tucker even has bad games shooting from the corner. And some games he'll score zero, make an impact. He's probably the only one in the league at this point. The single only player that can have an impact with zero. I, 
I guess the corners where he goes, so he gets the closest possible range. Maybe he can work on his baseline shots. Maybe he can work on your off-the-dribble shots. Because let's not forget, he is capable. It was only one game, but that one day against the Suns, I think he had, like, 31 or 33. Yeah, I think that remains his career high. Yeah, that overtime loss, I think, think, was that? He's played three seasons, correct? Not four? That was his rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. Two years back. That was with the limited fans for most of the year, right? Yep. Yeah, so he's had a few moments, but if you're going to bring him off the bench and you're going to make him an eighth or ninth man, he's not going to score. He, he's cut, I think, defensively to have the ability of the Tony Allen cloth, but offensively it feels like he's kind of early career Josh Jackson. It's not going in, and at times he doubts himself. Sheesh. And the Cavs could have could have had, I think – if they pulled a deal with the thank, thank goodness they didn't trade Kyrie to Phoenix, I guess, <laughs> for, for him. But I, I think he's good enough. But if he's not starting and he's just coming off the bench, I don't think he's going to have the confidence with this team. I think he would need a change of scenery, which I hope doesn't happen, to really find that confidence. Because that's happened with certain players. They leave one side, they go to another. All of a sudden, the light is always green. And when the light is green – Look what you're doing. I don't think Caleb Martin exactly had a, a yellow light in Charlotte, but his light is greener than Gatsby's at the end of the dock for the Miami Heat, right? <laughs> oh, what, a, what a reference. Yeah, Jeez, it's, it's I, I'm a big Gatsby guy. And talking about it earlier today. But point, point is, sometimes you go somewhere else, you were okay, good on one team, like Caleb Martin. All of a sudden, he's averaging the most points off the bench since Vinny Johnson in 91 for the Heat. So. Isaac Okoro, honestly, that feels like something that could be a very real possibility for him. I definitely hope that's not the case because you already hear people clamoring about J.B. Bickerstaff being fired and him not knowing how to utilize players to their skill sets. And whether or not people believe there's validity to that or not, Isaac Okoro, at least in my opinion, would benefit from a faster pace. I think that is something that you could definitely do to give him more opportunities. Seriously, I think if you increase the pace from dead last that the Cavs that the Cavs finished with in the regular season, that you could probably get a core up near back up near eight, nine, ten points per game. Easy. Uh, in regards to the shooting, because that's what everybody's going to come back to time and time again with the core, no matter if he starts or comes off the bench. It's all going to be about the volume, like thirty six point three percent. That was a career high. Uh, but when you take a look at the volume, it's just not enough to warrant defensive attention. He's being left open. Defenses know that you know there's a good chance that even left wide open that he might not make the shot. Um, but I, I'm I got to be honest too as well in regards to his playoff series in general. I wonder how much of missing that last portion of the season due to that uh, that bone bruise really affected how effective he could be because. In the limited spurts that he got throughout the series, especially on the defensive end, he was quite impactful. And I honestly believe he should have gotten more run, but Mm -hmm. I I can't argue against the fact that he did hurt the spacing because New York just clogged bank. They just didn't trust him to shoot. Um, And honestly, that's a big point of contention among Cavs fans. Like when you approach free agency, as we're about to discuss here in a moment, um, that's probably going to be the number one area at that three, at that wing position that you're going to look to upgrade or bring in additional shooters in. And what better way to kick that discussion off by getting your thoughts on what you believe the Cavs' actual needs are? Like, what is the priority? If you had to nail a couple of things down, what is the priority that they need to address? So definitely get guys that can shoot and maybe guys that can shoot that aren't 37. Loved having Kyle Korver uh, back during the third <laughs> final run, but it was clear that age had caught up a bit, which is why he wasn't a regular in the Bucks rotation during their uh, first round or second round, rather bubble drubbing uh, by the Miami Heat. You know, I, I I think of Max Struess because I think of three guys the Cavs have had still, and I will quote Korver as one of them. The Cavs haven't been known for having great three point shooters over their run. Obviously, Mobile Williams is a very good shooter, but he wasn't there to shoot threes. The CJ Miles era for two seasons was highly, highly successful as far as just getting him to produce. Hit threes at a high rate, held the Cavs record for most threes in a game for a long time. I think it was eventually broken by both or, or one of Kyrie and JR. Another yeah. one is JR. He would be the, I wish he was younger or he still cared about basketball because he'd be the perfect fit. 
obviously good for him with the college golf. He's really figuring out some more things with his life. So love it for him, but he's, he'd be the perfect guy, right? Give him the ball. He'll occasionally dribble a bit and let these threes, whether corner, top baseline spreads the floor, plays very good defense, athletic. And then I think about Corver as the third one. Those are the three guys that have really, maybe James Jones to a lesser extent, the guys yeah. that in just to be sh- veterans and shooters, maybe all veterans except for CJ, but they could shoot the lights out and that's what they needed but the Cavs still don't have Donovan is the only one I believe on the entire in the entire organization that can consistently catch and shoot and make because not only was Isaac struggling with that confidence at times maybe because of lack of refs and Tim being left open but so was Dean Wade who Kevin Love was cut for in the first place it might have been the shoulder it might not have been obviously he was wearing some extra layering so it might have made his shot a little heavier but he kind of forgot how to shoot as well. He was supposed yeah. to kind of be that, that catch-and-shoot threat, but he would put the ball on the floor and eventually dry. Someone would miss a layup, and they'd go and give up a transition basket. I think a Max Struess type is perfect because he reminds me of JR without the crazy shots. Not an amazing defender, but a good enough one to play 30 minutes on a team that's already won 11 playoff games this season, beating number one and about to knock out number two as well. We'll see what happens with that. I expect it to end tomorrow, but that's not what we're here to discuss. And the guy that could knock out Grant Williams, who said, I'm going to make both help the Cavs with a massive <laughs> win for seeding this season, would actually be perfect. Because for all the poking the bear with Jimmy, mm-hmm. let's, not, let's not ignore the fact that when he was closing out game two, which was his first regular minute playoff appearance in about three or four games, he was the only Celtic to make a basket over the final eight minutes. He's become an incredible three-point shooter. You think it was 0 for his first 26 entering the NBA then all of a sudden, I think he's near 40% now. He's based the floor. He draws charges. He's like a shorter Kevin Love who can also put the ball on the floor and is a very good passer. He could play the four. He could play a very short, small ball, five stretch. I think he'd be a perfect 25-minute-a-game bench guy for them. They need someone that can shoot and someone that can play the four. I don't think the five is a problem. Whether or not you end up moving Allen, the five will be fine. It's the four. Whether it was when it's not Mobley, that is whoever else is, whether it's Lamar or Jetty or Isaac, these small ball lineups are too prevalent. Kind of reminds me of the old Mavericks when Carlisle yeah. would play. I think it was Darren Williams, JJ Barea, and Raymond Felton would share the court together for a little while. And I was very confused, always watching and seeing these three point guard looks. Because while we're in a league of – JJ was tiny out was, there, man. They all were, man. Yeah. Like Raymond Felton was 6'1". Darren, who we had at a bad time, was 6'2". It doesn't even work in 2K. I don't know if it's going to work in real life, but uh, <laughs> it, somehow it worked. Shout out JJ Bray, a great career. But I, I think we need guys that can space the floor and guys that can play the floor. Struce doesn't have to do that. But Struce can shoot and Grant can shoot. I've heard some Gary Trent. Obviously, he has to bring Darius Garland a free mask from Canada with him if he comes over. <laughs> We're not, we're not losing Darius for eight games again, even if we went 8-0 in that stretch, because that, that that hurt the early season Mitchell Garland chemistry, which may have played a year-long part in what happened at the end. All things considered, just get a shooter, man, because if they have a shooter, they fix a lot of holes really fast. That's essentially where I'm at. I think they have two primary needs at this point in time. They need additional shooting at the wing, and they need a stretch four, preferably. Yeah, you can if you can shore up those two areas, I think that's going to do a lot in regards to one getting some of these guys rest because that was a huge issue in that playoff series. Got guys playing damn near 40 minutes, but those two are the biggest positions that need to be addressed. As for the players, I love the thought process behind adding a Max Struess. Um, although he shot 35% from the field or from three this season, he is coming off his season prior to that shooting 41% from three point range. And it's high volume. It's, it's great volume, seven attempts this season. And my only reservation in regards to that, and I guess not even reservation, but my question to you, and I, I think I posed this on Twitter the other day, if you're going to be able to bring him in, because that's a whole nother separate conversation, like do we, do we believe that the MLE will be enough to get him if Miami lets him walk? But the other token, uh, the other side of that is if you bring him in, are you automatically starting him over Isaac Okoro? Because I think the question there is, okay, well, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, they're not noted defenders. Isaac Okoro kind of takes – their liabilities on the defensive end. Although Isaac is not like some 
all-league defender right now, he does take on the toughest defensive assignment, and he makes life easier on those guys. If you're bringing in Struess and you're starting him, you are essentially saying, okay, we're going to leverage the defense for the added spacing. If it was you running the show, if you're J.B. Bickerstaff, are you, if you get Struess, are you starting him over Okoro? So I think this is going to be a tra- this will be a training camp conversation. I think they're not. It's not going to be like, all right, all right, fellas, play one on one when you get. <laughs> not like that. And obviously, Struce got to change his number if he came over. He can't wear Jared Allen's thirty one. But I, I think it has to be a discussion. I think it's very possible. I don't think it's guaranteed. Everything that a lot of these Heat players have gotten, they've had to work their tails off for. Max Struce coming from in Chicago, and, yeah. Yeah, come in Chicago and then comes to Miami, overtakes Duncan Robinson's starting spot. Let's not forget Robinson was one of the key cogs in a finals team the very year prior. He come, or maybe it would have been two years prior. He came in and made a ton of plays. Gabe Vincent and Robinson himself had to work his way up. Signed late in the season, and by the by the end of by this third season, he was starting on a finals team. Gabe and now Vincent, he's been paid. <laughs> yeah, he got ninety million dollars. Deserve it or not, he went from D three best. One of the best D three players in the country to one missed shot away from a D three title to Michigan to starting for one of the best coaches in the league with probably the best culture and obviously they keep these guys fit so it, it helps. Think about Gabe Vincent and his journey to where he's at. All these different players obviously don't mean Heywood Highsmith probably wouldn't have a spot in the league on another team. He came in and played major minutes that game. Jimmy missed. They yep. did lose it, but damn, not by much. So all, all this being said, I think he'd still have to earn it. I think if he can come in and prove that he's a better defender maybe than some of us think, he can take on some of these assignments for the first four or five minutes. You get Garland out, and you can put a Coro in, and then you get a, a mitchell Struce backcourt for that stretch. Could be interesting, obviously, with, if they pay Karras, he comes back. We'll, we'll see yeah. what that would do to that situation. But I feel like he'd be a – if you do, he'd have to earn it. It's not a lock, and I would be okay with either. If you give it to a Coro and bring Struce off the bench – or you start a Coro and maybe five or six, seven minutes in, you switch and go, all right, let's get our score in the game now. And then you look at the other name that you brought up, Grant Williams, tremendous player on really both sides uh, of the court, 39.5% from three-point range this season. That is that is just awesome to see him be able to, to make this much of his opportunity. Honestly, I don't believe the Cavs will be able to sign him. Uh I think he's going to cost slightly more than the MLE, but you never know. I think the Cavs definitely should put some feelers out there to see what the interest level would be. Um, Cavs and Boston, definitely two teams that are figure to be in not necessarily, I I can't say title contention in regards to the Cavs as much as I want to, but they're going to be contenders for a long time. So I think Grant is going to have a few good decisions to make, but if you're, if you're going to be able to bring in Grant Williams, is he a guy that you would feel comfortable with slotting in that starting lineup? I think probably not. Honestly, you the only reason, you can't play him at the three. He's a little too. I don't think he moves well enough to play the three. I think mm-hmm. you really want him as a four or five. I think he'd be the first. He kind of play that Kevin Love of uh, twenty one twenty two role. Yeah, play a little bit of four, uh, a lot of four, a little, a little bit, bit of, of five. five. Yeah, a little bit of five if you need it. More more kind of closing quarters. You probably would never see that in a fourth quarter, but maybe parts of a third or, uh, or late in the second. He fills your shooting void. And, you know, we, we talk about how solid he's been last two games. Since he re- the last three games, he's rejoined the rotation. Four of six, five of seven, four of seven. He's made seven threes on just 11 attempts. He's efficient. He takes smart shots. He's a great teammate. Obviously, he got the Cavs a free win. So he was, he was you know, <laughs> look, he owned up to that. It's a regular season moment. It's, that, that didn't cost them anything. It didn't cost them seeding. It didn't do anything. It was one game for the Celtics. So he owned up to it. Cavs ended up with their win. Donovan ended up with another great moment. His free throw trick obviously backfired on the Cavs in the playoffs because no one was listening to what he had to say. They're tuning it out. But he'd be, I don't think he starts unless you end up moving Allen. But he'd be such a good fit just for playing multiple positions, filling your void spacing the floor and i think the biggest factor other than money mac is if any of this celtic locker room drama is true which i we really have no way of knowing is Jalen unhappy is did missoula actually lose the locker room what's going on because if any of these reports true, are ridiculous by the way yeah i don't i don't believe many of them but if, if there's if there are any truths 
maybe Grant takes offense to the early earlier playoff benchings because there were two uh, – real quick, the last three games against the Sixers, you played a total of 11 minutes. And I believe the game seven minutes were garbage time. Did not play game one against the Heat. Maybe he takes offense to that in some way, shape, or form. There was that regular season stretch after the Cavs game where they went to Sam Hauser instead. Sam Hauser, I think, only played two rotational minutes. Very spare. Two games yep. of rotational minutes in the playoffs. So maybe he wants another home. Uh, somewhere that actually really believes in him and won't do that. He's the what, VP of the Players Association. He's got a strong voice in this league. So maybe he wants to bring that somewhere else that might listen better. You could guarantee him a high-minute role here in Cleveland. That's the that's definitely one thing that he would have going for him. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of other guys who may not be on the minds of many Cavs fans when they think about free agents. Uh, I'll start here with Torrey Craig, which is a guy who I, I feel would, would be a nice addition uh, for a relatively cheap cost. Um, can space the four, can man the three, the four, um, give you minutes at both, and would be able to – hang on defensively with with some of the tougher assignments out there. What would be the thought process behind signing Torrey Craig? Do you think is a, this is a guy that could fit with the Cavs? Yeah, he also had an incredible journey to get to the pros going to USC upstate, which I think was, aren't they D2? I don't think they're the D1 school. I think they're D2. Yeah. Yes, they're D2. He worked his way up in Denver, played well in Phoenix. He has some great playoff experience with the Suns over these last couple of years. He was a part of the Bucks for a little while. He played with Giannis. I think he, he brings a lot to the table. And there was that one game one against Denver. I think he had 23. They were letting him cook. And he's like, yeah, let me cook. Obviously, they lost that. <laughs> that, was, that was the funny part of that whole thing. Uh, I actually was the Clippers. Pardon me. It was the Clippers way back when. That's why I felt so far away. So I just wonder with that, he's essentially might be a slight Lamar Stevens upgrade. I don't know how many of these wings you still have on your roster. I think Lamar's still under contract there. You still, you'd still have Jetty. You might, I, I think Windler's finally up. I don't expect him to come back. I think his time is over. But you got so many of these other wings. Mercifully. <laughs> Unfortunately. I do hope he gets one more chance somewhere. At least I, I do expect that kind of player gets some contract from a middling to lower level team, get some run, and hopefully gets traded to a contender to just be a locker room voice after being around the cast for four years. But I, I like Craig. I just think you'd have to – you can't have him with Lamar, with a Coral, all these guys that kind of do the same thing without addressing other needs. I think you'd have to clear some of those guys out first, but he would definitely be a good voice. I'm a bit on the, I don't know, he's about 29 or 30. He came in the league a little late. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think he'd be a good fit for them. And then one last name that we'll talk about here for the wing position, Yuta Watanabe. What would yes. be the idea behind bringing him in? Would you, would, would that be a signing that you would uh, endorse? Well, uh, the Cavs social media would get an influx of, of uh, Japanese followers, which obviously, you know, you want to reach the most people possible. You know, we got great, they got great social people over there. Yeah. Those great post-game things that we see on Instagram after each win, whatever it is they're putting out, those crazy memes. But no, Yuda, Yuda was a fan favorite in Brooklyn. He was the best shooter in the league for the first half of the year for a reason. He fell out of favor. Honestly, the Nets had the weirdest bench assortment I've ever seen to end the year. Like Cam Thomas. They had, yeah. Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Yuda, Cam Thomas, all these people are just here. Royce O'Neal, yeah. Royce O'Neal. ton of them. Royce O'Neal was great. He, he actually, I was doing a Sporkle quiz. He was top 50 in assists in the entire league this year. Really good passer, obviously. Weird situation there, but he was the only net really that went start to finish other than Claxton the entire season, starting coming off the bench. They asked him to do way too much. They had him guarding and beat, so it's no wonder they got swept. But he works his, his ass off. I love watching him play. We're not here to talk about Royce, but that said, you know, <laughs> other guys, hey, uh, trade for Royce, guys. That all takes the first round pick, which we don't have. Give me two seconds. Because uh, they, they trade all their seconds for Jay Crowder. No, they kept them. Never mind. Hey, wrong trade. Anyway, well, long story short, Utah can shoot. Yuda's a fan favorite, works his tail off, and he'll never let someone dunk on him easily. He will go after everything, plays his heart out. He went to George Mason. They don't have too many NBA players, so it just tells you it's another guy that works hard, got his chance, didn't get a ton of playing time in Toronto or in Memphis. But when Brooklyn gave him minutes, man, saw them, saw him a couple times in person this year. He spreads the floor well, and he is a fantastic teammate. Could honestly, if nothing else, and look, say what we will about Dylan Windler. He was a fantastic teammate, a consummate pro through all the injuries and the benchings. 
Yuta could fill that void that he left just fine. It's kind of that guy we love that we might not see that much of on a regular basis. That's exactly where I am with him. Uh, shot a very high percentage from three-point range this season, 44.4%. And if you look at just his career stat line, when you look at the stops that he's had, he's had it's it's literally peaks and valleys in regards to his minutes. When Yuta actually gets minutes, he can be fairly productive, especially as a shooter, because essentially that's where all of his shots are going to come from. He's going to spot up out there. He's going to catch and shoot. And I think that's the exact type of guy that the Cavs can utilize, especially with the dearth of ball handlers uh, that we have here in town. So I'd love to be able to sign Yuta. I think he would be inexpensive. I think that he he has the size to go out there. He's not the best defender, but he'll go out there and try, as you met, as you mentioned before, Um uh, trying to contest that Mitchell dunk, which will live in infamy for the rest of Cavs fandom now, uh, just would be an awesome signing in, in my eyes. Uh, but now that we've talked about some of these options in regards to the wing, the other pressing need I think that we mentioned earlier was at the four, uh, preferably a stretch four, but there are a, a couple of options you could go that route. One of the biggest names that we've seen tied to Cleveland over these uh, recent weeks is Nas Reed. Tell me a little bit about how you would feel about the Cavs being able to bring in a Nazarene. So this would be as a four slash five, not just as a five. You'd be playing. Uh, I, I think he. I think he played most of his minutes actually, especially on the defensive end. I think he lined up primarily at the four. I mean, I I'd, I'd welcome that. You know, he he had some really nice moments this year. He he had the one of the worst. Before the injury, he was dealt a horrible hands. He's playing on a team with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns while being the contract season. Yep. Of course, Cat misses a lot of time, so Naz comes in. Gobert would have these random uh, – well, not random, but he would suffer one game or two game injury, and then he would have to start. There'd be days where all three of them were out, and even Naz was on the bench watching Luca Garza, Nathan Knight somehow end up starting at center. Very weird center rotation they had this season, but – he can shoot. He can spread the floor. I think. What was it? Is it a hand injury for him? Yeah, it was that kept him out. He limited him to sixty-eight games uh, during the regular season. Um, and uh, just let me just make one little correction. He actually spent the bulk of his minutes playing center, but he is perfectly capable of lining up at yes. the four. All right. So that said, so if if it was a hand injury, last time we had a big with a hand injury, we let him go a little too early. So make sure. Do your due diligence. I think coming <laughs> and uh, and that guy's one win from the finals, by the way. Uh, Nas Reed is a good player. I think he's someone that sometimes you got to come in. You don't get big minutes. You're not this major prospect. He was probably, I would have to guess, on the what RTRI or RCRI, whatever it's called, the rankings you see on Basketball Reference coming out of high school to college. He's probably somewhere highly ranked. A lot of those guys don't go on to do much. Wherever he was ranked. He's in the league. He's been here a few years. He made it through his entire rookie contract on the same team, ended up being a big part of it and making two postseason appearances, only playing in one because the injury. Good teammate, great shooter. I've never heard a negative word uttered about him. Through all the drama they had that on that team this season, stuff we didn't know about. Then there was this stuff with McDaniels and uh, punching the wall out of frustration, end of the season. There was Anderson and Gobert with the cat stuff behind the scenes. I'm sure there was some D'Lo stuff before they traded him and what we saw yeah. in LA. Just assuming, again, might be wrong, but I feel like it wasn't the best relationship there, even if he was with his friend Carl. No one calls Cat Carl, honestly. I kind of forgot his first name was Carl. But <laughs> Reed made it through. Nothing, no negative, professional. Some of these guys, you know, they, they like the attention. They get on, they post all this uh, cryptic Instagram. He didn't do any of that. Good teammate. You can escape that. Really tumultuous Minnesota season unscathed. And he'd be a great pickup anywhere. Would love it to be Cleveland if he can come in, spread the floor. Not, they can give him the MLE, try it for a year, kind of like Portis going to the Bucks. Yeah. They he was coming off that trade to the Wizards. He had played well enough, but I think he wanted to take a chance on himself, go to a winner. I remember he mentioned his conversation with Giannis, trying to get him there. Yeah. And he kept less money to save for another two years, which kind of stinks with how bad they were in the playoffs those two years, injuries or not. But you never know. You get him in the door, you might have a hard time seeing uh, watching him leave. So you might do all you can to keep him for less and make him some promises. Bucks are doing all they can with Bobby, and they're paying him a lot less than he should be making somewhere else. Yeah, Reed, I believe prior to the trade deadline, he was seeking somewhere around $10 million, north of $10 million. The Cavs have $12.2 million in regards to MLE. I think from a financial standpoint, if his mindset hasn't changed, you could probably get him with the MLE. 
Um, I don't think Minnesota is going to be able to retain him. They have to make a few decisions of their own. They already have so much money tied up between Gobert and Towns. They have a decision to make on uh, McDaniels, I believe. Uh, a couple of things that they're going to have to figure out. So I think he's going to walk. Um, I think the biggest priority for him is a starting. And obviously the Cavs are not going to be able to give him that, but they can give him a high minute role. They can give him the full middle of exception if necessary. And dude, this is a guy who in just 16.9 minutes per game, and that's the most astounding part to me in just 16.9 minutes per game, he actually led the league. He had the most points as the, as a reserve center. So he, he led in that category at 10 and a half points. Um, something that I feel the Cavs sorely need is a true, reliable third big, whether that be at the four or the five, preferably a guy who can play both. And I think Reed can do that. He can stretch the floor. So you'd be able to give him minutes with either Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. Um, we saw Minnesota do that at, at certain points of the season between Towns and Gobert and Reed. So I think it could definitely be something that could work. Um, I would be highly interested in bringing him in. I'm just not sure it's going to be possible. Never but, know. Yeah, you never know. I mean, we, we believe in. I mean, that's what we yeah, do. Man. We believe in things. Uh, but one guy I think has kind of flown under the radar here due to a ACL tear who just returned this season is Dario Sarge. Uh, a guy I feel that can still space the floor, can rebound a little bit, get his own shot uh, to a degree. How would you feel about bringing in a Dario Sarge? Because I think he is also a guy who could potentially give you some minutes there for possibly even five stretches. Yeah, so his career had that weird – came in in Philly as kind of like one of the missing pieces, ended up uh, being a throw-in in that Jimmy Butler trade at a wacky Minnesota tenor who are number 39 also. Who wears number 39 in basketball? Not many people wear 39. Even in my random knowledge of jersey numbers, I couldn't play another 39 <laughs> on the top of my head. Ended up, what, with uh, with Phoenix after that, did suffer the injury. He was battling Frank Kaminsky for minutes. What a weird chapter it was behind DeAndre Ayton during their finals run. That might have helped. They would have won a title maybe if they had a, a backup center when Ayton was, was struggling with Giannis. But anyway, he ended up, what, this year, he was still back on the Suns. They traded him to OKC, didn't do a ton. I think he'd be a good mentor at the absolute least. A better, probably an upgrade over Robin Lopez. He spreads the floor. I don't genuinely know what his skill set is because when I watch him, I feel like he's been kind of limited. He was limited coming back from the injury and what he actually can do. On the nights he got big minutes, I think they were toying with the lineups. He had some good starts at power forward. I think he had a couple of double-doubles. Yeah, He can shoot. I think he can put it on the floor still. Might have lost a little bit of his bounce. But if he can hold his own as a defender at that position, I'd be absolutely fine with with giving him a chance. I don't know that he's an upper-tier name, but he'd certainly be better than any of the names he ended up with for the postseason roster in his position. So I'd be fine with that. And the, the thought process for me is, one, this is a guy who, you know, entering next season will be entering his age 29 season. So he's not extremely old. It, he can space the floor uh, with OKC this season in 20 games, uh, 2.3 attempts from three-point range. He converted that at a rate of 39.1%. Still holds a career average of 36% from beyond the arc. So I think that's a guy that you would feel comfortable with uh, bringing in on a cheap deal. And I think that's the selling point. If you strike out on a name like uh, Reed or if you're unable to bring in uh, one of the, you know, a Christian Wood, other names that you might see out there that uh, could potentially be available at that four and five spot. I think that would be the biggest selling point, the, the inexpensiveness, because I think at a certain level, if the Cavs, especially if they intend to prioritize wing, like if we're talking about possibly adding Struess, that's probably going to take the full MLE. And the Cavs also have the biannual exception available as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that could be the route they go to sign a big. Um, they could offer a veteran minimum to a guy like a DeMarcus Cousins uh, uh, or, you know, try to try to lure Dwight Howard or somebody like that away. Or, you know, we still have some of these overseas talents like Khalifa Diop, who I believe that Kobe Altman is kind of ruled out already uh, for this season. But they could go in a, a a lot of different directions, but I think Sarge would be an interesting name to potentially bring in if you had the opportunity to. The last position group that I wanted to ask your opinion on, because this is something that I've seen a little bit of um, a discourse on, uh, for lack of a better word, the backup guard, specifically point guard position, because 
dude, Ricky Rubio did not look like Ricky Rubio of old in that postseason. Based um, on the body snatchers. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's been talk of him potentially uh, competing with Spain, if I'm not mistaken, to try and get some of that some of that uh, energy back that he that he was able to channel prior to the um, prior right. to the 2021 22 mm-hmm. season where he looked phenomenal. Um, so if that's something that he does, I'm hoping that he can regain some of that form. But I just want to get your thoughts here. Should the Cavs consider signing another guard? Oh yeah, and I, honestly, before he quickly jumped to Australia, I was seriously. And not because he's my guy. You know he's my Daddy. guy. We talked about him before. <laughs> he would actually be the perfect fit, though. Because you saw what he did for the Kings whenever Fox or Mitchell stepped out. Look, he's he wasn't a stabilizer. Stabilize. He, he very rarely turns the ball over. He's still the be- He was still the best lob thrower in the league this year, and the Cavs have three of the best. I, I we, we watch them every night. But Delhi, I, I feel like it's someone that helped Davion Mitchell grow his game extensively this season. He's definitely in Fox's year. It's tough. After one year back, he just goes this early in the offseason. I was really hoping he might get one more year in the league. I don't really have any names to throw out for you, but I would say you have to sign someone at least consider. I, I think Howell's probably gone. I think Sam Merrill is probably – probably wave him before the season or if not before the season, early in the season. I think he'll make it through training camp. Well, funny, last year he got cut by the Cavs during training – or the Kings, and that's when Delhi got his roster spot and Merrill ended up with the Cavs anyway. But – I think he doesn't make it through the year, and you fill that Merrill or Neto spot with somebody. I think you come in with three point guards. Too bad uh, Nemhard didn't work out. I really didn't mind him as that number three. Maybe Brandon Goodwin now that he's healthy again. Oh, I got some names for you. Don't worry. Let's hear, let's hear um, what we got. Maybe not. Uh, so, so Neto was definitely going to be one of them because I feel like in the minutes that he actually got, he was relatively impactful, especially on the defensive end. He is not a three-point shooter at all. He is not somebody that you would rely upon to take that three ball. But past Neto, some of the names that I was thinking about here, one of the biggest things that people have complained about is the Cavs' lack of toughness. A guy that could potentially embody that is Patrick Beverly. Yes, I'd be on board. I loved what he did in Chicago. <laughs> he, he, he really doesn't look however old he is. His podcast is a little weird with some of the stuff he's saying about Adam Silver the other day. But uh, I do like him. I think he's a great, tough leader, and he can shoot the ball well enough. He'll shoot the ball when he's open. He had some 10-rebound games for the Bulls. He's only 6-1, and I think he's the biggest reason for the Bulls nearly knocking off the heat and getting to the playoffs as much as anyone else. Uh, I think that that would be a name that I would feel comfortable with bringing in. I know that earlier on he was talking about getting like fifteen million. Um, I don't know how you feel about how much money he could get in endorsements, but not in. Uh, but <laughs> the podcast is running as popular as it is. He's rivaling Paul George for popular pods. You know, he's not going to bring any players on because he. I, I don't know what he would even say to them based on what he says on the court. <laughs> but uh, he's. I think he's a well-respected guy. I think we learned that he's a bit more mature than we thought he was based on how he handled the Russell Westbrook LA situation. I'm sure it was honestly tough for both of them based on the injury history and the the drama and beyond court things. They were really, really professional about it. Obviously they're still tight now. So, and it is just a game, but when you get on someone's team, it changes everything. I'd love him in this locker room. I'd love to see the the bromance with him and Donovan because I think it would be pretty large. And he's one of these guys who could not only give you good mentorship, off the court, but he could still provide on the court on little, both ends. Yeah, a little younger than Udonis, just a little bit. <laughs> uh, some of the two of the other names I have here. The first one, Dennis Smith Jr., a guy who has had one hell of a roller coaster of a career, who has actually man- managed to kind of turn things around in Charlotte. And I'm sure that Charlotte will be angling to hold on to him. But how would you feel about potentially bringing in Dennis Smith Jr.? You know, it's crazy to me. He missed the last couple of weeks with injury. He was really solid, I thought, for Portland in the later stages of 21-22, just like Chris Dunn was. And okay. Chris Dunn didn't even get a contract until there was a month left in the season. So, And he shoots now, Bob. If anyone hasn't seen Chris Dunn, he actually shoots threes and makes them now. So Utah might have a, a steal for next season. I think those guys are very similar in that Smith can run the offense. He's athletic. He'll give the crowd something to cheer about. 4.8 assists this season, too. How many? 4.8. And he was he was starting to begin the year. I know he had some injuries. Pretty much uh, rendered uh, Theo Maladon useless. And I thought I think they brought Maladon in thinking he was going to be this backup, this great 
Next step coming from OKC, completely had a dud. No, I uh, I like Smith. It's not the best shooter, but I think he's confident. I know he uh, he rebounded the ball really well this year as well. For I don't know the exact numbers. But I remember him getting seven, eight a game in his uh, final couple starts before he got hurt, missed the rest of the year. I, I'd welcome it. I don't know if he's my top choice, but every name that you're throwing out here, I think, is someone that can help the team and give them what they need, which is toughness, little athletic ability and uh, hold himself and everyone else around him accountable because he just wants to hoop and he wants to win. Yes, I'm really rooting for him. I have been for a long time. I hope he sticks. If he comes to Cleveland, I'd absolutely love that. But if he sticks in Charlotte, I'd be happy for him. The final name that I'm going to suggest to you is one that I feel like could help in in, in a few different areas, and that is Javon Carter, who is currently a Milwaukee Buck. Shot the three ball very, very well. He ranked 12th in the NBA in three-point percentage at 42.1%. It's not something you can say for really any Cavalier uh, this season. No matter the volume, um, and considering that volume, 4.2 triples attempted. He made 2.4 of them. I mean, that's like literally double, almost triple what you got out of a guy like Isaac Okoro. Um, And the best part about that is that, dude, all of them were basically catch-and-shoot triples. 43.9% on his catch-and-shoot triples. Um, Quality shooter, guy who may not be the best defender out there, but he will definitely try his hardest. Um, the biggest thing to me is that he's going to be looking for a payday. Um, I want to say that prior to this season, he signed a two-year, $4.3 million contract with a player option. So he's obviously going to be looking to make some money. Not sure how much he's going to cost. I can't imagine that it would cost the full MLE, but I do think it is a potential signing that the Cavs should look into. What are your thoughts on Javon Carter? And just uh, quickly, that, that was with the Nets, correct? He signed out with the Nets, and the Nets flipped him to the Bucks, or did he sign with the Bucks after getting laid by the Nets? Sorry, if you, I don't know if you have that. I, I do remember? not have that. No, nope, okay. don't have okay. that. So he was underperforming like crazy with the Nets, whether it was the Steve Nash underusage or, or what. All of a sudden, he ends up on the Bucks uh, prior to last season, and he was absolutely – or I think it was he signed midseason – the way he shot the ball reminded me of what, what he was in the bubble. He was a big part of the bubble. Suns going 8-0. And, of course, who was he backing up? A certain Ricky Rubio. Yes, that's right. The two of them were part of the 8-0 <laughs> bubble. So, and honestly, I, I only know Javon Carter. I knew him coming into the league. I remember he was the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year as a senior. He played all four years in college. I know him now as the guy that always wears two different colored sneakers. I've done that for a long time. Couldn't find minutes with the Suns in that playoff run, but I really like him. I think he's a good leader. I think he's a little better defender than you give him credit for. I think it's the first time we've ever disagreed about something before, so I give credit to us. <laughs> but like, he's not. A, but he's near right. He's not a world beater. He's not going to come in and be defensive player of, of, of the year. He's not going to win more than one or two Deepak uh, chains for the Cavs. But he plays hard. The fact that he, he figured out after being a bad fit in Brooklyn, whatever it was, whoever's fault it was, Perfect fit on the Bucks. Maybe it was having shooting contests with Grayson Allen and Chris Middleton. I mean, they had some had some great shooters come in there and in recent seasons. Love what he does for them. And I think he had to contend with an inconsistent role because of how many players they had. The return of Joe Ingles. You know, I think they signed Goran Dragic, who really didn't even play much. Yeah. They had Grayson. They had Middleton coming in and out. Drew Holiday. So many – and I know I'm even missing a few names probably. They just had such a weird – Weirdly deep roster, his role was inconsistent, so I'd have to imagine he wants the role, but especially off a first-round exit, maybe wanting something new. And He's probably at the bottom of all the names we've mentioned, but if he does come in, I think he'll push a lot of guys, and I think that that's going to show and he'll eventually work his way into a regular rotation spot. It wouldn't be right away. I feel like he's not like one of those guys that you're going to play from the beginning of the season. New situation, but he can work his way in and, and force the coach's hand. Yeah, uh, for me personally, I would. I mean, uh, um, how the rotation shakes out. If they're opting, if they don't move Ricky Rubio, which is something that has been floated out there, you know, on a package deal, if they don't intend on moving Ricky, if you bring in a guy like Javon Carter, he probably is a reserve and like a true reserve, not getting any minutes. Uh, but uh, he's certainly a guy who has been able to get the job done when called upon. So he would be a depth signing, great addition to the rotation if necessary, but he definitely wouldn't be the first option. Um, with that being said, I mean, you, you take a look at these holes that the Cavs have. Um, 
very, very fixable. Um, not a lot of money to work with, obviously, this this offseason. Not a lot of assets to work with after really getting rid of, t- rid of a ton of them in that Donovan Mitchell trade. But I am of the mindset that we don't need any big shakeups, man. We just need to, 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 to get some depth here. We need to address some of these key areas and just, you know, run it back. Um, now, the one question that I'm sure you've probably had on your mind that I did not bring up at all. The head coach. There have been a lot of firings <laughs> this offseason. To say the least, every every minute you get a new notification. Oh wow. They're gonna start you're gonna start Woj and Chan's gonna start breaking other people the real real life's firings. It's gonna be like that's a little over the line. Basically, yeah. So you've had all these firings. This yep. offseason, and I, I've seen numerous people suggest it doesn't matter who the Cavs bring in. The head coach can't coach. <laughs> he can't get things done. Um, just off the top of your head right now, I, I'm honestly feeling like if the Cavs would have made a move, they would have already let him go by now. Correct. Um, I'm a believer in J.B. Biggerstaff. I think that he deserves, after you know consistently improving, I want to say 22 wins, 44 wins, now 51 wins. Mm-hmm. Very disappointing postseason, but nonetheless, still improvement consistently. So I'm in the mindset he deserves another season. But considering the names that are available right now, I would be remiss if I did not ask you, do you think the Cavs are potentially making a mistake by not taking a look at some of these names that are available right now? So I'm I'm of the belief, and I've talked a lot about Craig Bugner, who I think just spent his first season as associate head coach. He was JB's assistant in Memphis. Mm-hmm. He's assisted in Houston. He's been his confidant the whole time. I don't, I don't know if he came in with him on B-line staff or if he came in alone and then brought him in after, but someone he trusts, although I don't know if I would trust Greg Buckner to step in as a head coach. So my my belief would be, depending on how everything goes with all these available head coaches, maybe you find someone you believe could be a future coach, potentially if things go wrong, is kind of an extra Unfortunately, mm-hmm. kind of how the Lakers forced Jason Kidd on Frank Vogel uh, for those couple of seasons, obviously. Yeah. The title, it was what it was. But he, that, that was just a weird staff altogether. <laughs> he just had a bunch of former head coaches uh, sitting on the staff listening to him talk. But I think you have to bring someone else in that's a valued voice as an assistant. I don't know if that's going to happen or if you can force that. I don't think it's good to force it. But and then if things go wrong, get off to a bad start. And no, thirty and eleven is not a bad start. David Blatt's going to be the only David coach Blatt. required at thirty and eleven. But reading the reading the book uh, from Winhorst, it made sense why they did it. It's unfortunate for David Blatt, but it made sense why they made that move. But with that said, in the now, if you don't have a great start, I don't know what that 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 means. If you're fifteen and sixteen or whatever, or some coaches get fired. I think it's dumb really early. Ty Lue got six games and got fired. Remember Kevin Steve McHale? Nash. Yeah. I don't remember. That was yeah. I was I was I was pretty early. And then there was Kevin McHale, eleven games in for Houston that one season. A lot of times it just happens very early. We in the Cavs history, they've been known to fire coaches midseason, especially the eighties. And they had what, Stan Allback, they had Musselman, George Carl, Tom Nasalki, all in like a two-year stretch. They had six coaches in two years or something, three years. I love looking through the 80s Cavs coaches and before Honey Wilkins <laughs> came in, they just had no idea. Stan Allback and coach Michael freaking Jordan couldn't even last more than half a season. What was going on with with, uh, with ownership? Um, but obviously a lot of things in the 80s as we both yes. know through our, through our history. But I'll, I'll say this. Start the season with JB. No regrets at this point. If he was going to be fired, you're right, he would have happened by now. And if you can bring in that extra assistant, you put a little pressure on him, but – I think if anything happens, it's going to be Greg Buckner during the season, and after that, we'll see. I don't expect Buckner to get the job if bigger staff's fired after the season. However, I think at that point you go brand new staff and let let him pick his associate head coach or her in case it's Becky Hammond. You never know, and we'll see what happens. Thank you. This is exactly when I edit this. I'm probably going to throw the Michael Scott thank you in there because that's that's where I'm at. Like. I feel like not enough people are like trying to approach this thing from a sane point of view. They see all these hot names on the market right now, whether it be Monty Williams uh, or Mike Budenholzer or Nick Nurse, guys like that who, you know, make no mistake, their resume speak for themselves. They do have a better resume than JB. But the thing that I think that JB has working in his favor is that one, he's a player's guy. 
Um, the, the, the players have seemed to, to, to really respond to him. He has consistently improved, at least during the regular season. Although I think now he has a 2-10 record in the postseason, I don't hold all that against him. I mean, his first playoff series loss came against the eventual champion Golden State Warriors. Um, so I'm tough to really hold that against him. And, you know, this season, obviously the postseason was a disappointment, but I think he has warranted at least one more year. Um, to those people who th- who want to prioritize this time that we have with Donovan Mitchell right now and are looking at looking at it like title or bust this upcoming season, what would you say? What what would you what would you say to give them faith? I I mean we're not going first round exit to, to title. I mean that some teams have that. I don't expect that to happen. The East, the Bucks are going to come back with a vengeance with their new coach. Or some young teams are going to push themselves up in the standings. The Sixers are going to make some massive changes and go all in and try and get a title while Joel Embiid is still there and having to replace probably James Harden. You know, the the Heat aren't just going to fade. They're going to have a better regular season. The Nets are going to figure things out. There's a lot of teams like the Pacers and the Raptors going to get new management. They still have star players. East is going to be no cakewalk. I'll say this. We just won 50 games. We still have Donovan Mitchell. Okay? Enjoy it. We got something special here. It's not always about the title. And, look, a lot of teams go all in on these moves, and a lot of other fan bases aren't happy. You think the Clippers are happy right now? <laughs> what happened to them? They lost They lost their two stars. They got trounced. That's a consistent a theme that, there in L.A. with the Clippers, though. It sucks because they, honestly speaking, they're probably the only team in the West that could have challenged the Nuggets with, with all, all health. Because they have bigs now. Plumlee, no, Plumlee probably would have gotten housed, but he did back up Jokic for three seasons. He knows Nikola Jokic. They they know how to beat people. This other, we're not the only fan base dealing with this. How do we think Phoenix feels right now? Second round exit, Durant and Booker. How, I mean, obviously the Bucks are mad. They're probably going to lose Drew Holiday to retirement in two seasons. Think about all the other. How do the obviously Knicks fans are happy, but how do Sixers fans feel? It's yet another second round exit, and they've had him beat for how long? Obviously they draft him. It's a little different, but. We're not the only ones like this. They got a lot of other teams with these same expectations. So we need Donovan to, to be better in these big games. But to the, the fans in this camp, think, oh, we have to make this big move. No. Do what won you 50 games and just work on your damn adjustments. You can make those in game adjustments. You'll be fine. You'll win those games you lost in the first round. And then from there, <laughs> it's house money, baby. As always, brother, thank you for keeping it real. Um, I know that a lot of times when, when we're talking about some of these these real issues in regards to the Cavs, there are so many different differing points of view and discussions can get quite heated, especially on social media. But, man, I, I really appreciate you dropping by. Um, you guys make sure to check Zach out on Network 216 across the Cavs. As always, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Have a good night. <laughs>